Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. All right. Well, this morning we continue in a sermon series. Uh, last week was the beginning of that series, and this week we continue um, through uh, a talk, a, a conversation about heaven. Uh, what, what is heaven, and how do we get to heaven, and uh, what will heaven be like? And th- those kind of the questions are the four questions that we'll ask. That this next week is um, when will next week is what will heaven be like? What, what will we do in heaven? And the final week is uh, when will heaven come? Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, news flash, we don't know. Um, this week, the question is, is this is, is, a, is a heavy question, to be honest. It's how do we get to go? How do we go to heaven? How do I go to heaven is the question that we're asking this week. And, and we're going to kind of work through a couple things. I, I, I believe as, if you have a worship guide there, uh, there's five kind of observations about the question uh, that we want to kind of look at as we look at uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Kind of observations about the question that I, that I believe as we work through them will kind of stir in our hearts just what it means to ponder this question and hopefully God, by God's grace give some clarity as to what the answer to that question is. And I do believe that the question has an answer, a very clear answer from scripture. But you know, before we jump into those things, I want to touch base just a couple things. And as we spend these several weeks, why, why would we give so much time? Why would we give four weeks right here at the beginning of the year to talk about heaven? And, and just to kind of maybe a little bit of a recap from last week, uh, from Pastor Jeff last week, but also just to kind of set the tone for us this morning and where we are, where we're going, uh, just to kind of say, what, what's the reason why we talk about this? Why we give this, this, um, this topic so much, so much of our time right here at the beginning of the year? And, and I want to start with a story that I'm kind of stealing from uh, somebody else, uh, just kind of as a, as a way to kind of give us this illustration. A guy named Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. It's, it's an incredible book. Uh, I'd encourage you to get it. There's an abridged copy that's much shorter. The original is, is very thick. If you grab that book and you read it and you're like, ah, T said a lot of this. Like, okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, most of what I'm saying is not original source material. I'm sharing what, what I'm learning from these other places. So if you're reading, you're like, oh man, it's like he almost copyrighted there or just, you know, like plagiarism. Uh, maybe you could maybe say that. So, um, He's a lot smarter than I am. So uh, I, I, I joke at some level. But this is one of the stories that he tells that I do believe is really helpful for us to understand a little bit about why we would spend so much time. There's a story of a lady named Florence Chadwick. In 1952, she was a, 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 a distant swimmer. And in 1952, uh, she was attempting to swim. Her, her goal was to swim from the Catalina Islands all the way to the mainland of California. And so she, her, her, this is a 21-ish mile swim. Uh, and so she stepped into the waters that, that day in 1952. Uh, and and it, was, it was chilly outside. And it was, the fog began to roll in uh, there on the island. And, and in that little sound between uh, the channel that, had, that, that separated these two, the, the, the island and the mainland. At this point, this lady had, had already swam the English Channel both ways. And so this is not her first go at this, at this thing. But it's a long swim and chilly water. In the fog, and so she swims for 15 hours. 
15, I mean, most of us don't do anything for 15 hours. She swam for 15 hours. The fog was so bad that she could barely see the boat that accompanied her just to kind of help her along the way. Her mother was in the boat, and at some point she, was, she would beg, multiple times she would beg, I'm done, I can't do it, I can't do it. And her mother right out there at the end said, listen, you're so close, just keep going. Finally, she couldn't. She, she had to get out, of, she get, out, get out of the water and she got in the boat. And from the perspective of the boat through the fog, she could see that the, the, the mainland was only about a half a mile away. That truly for her, maybe just a little bit more, she could have made it. And the next day in an interview, she said these words. She said, if, I think that if I could have just seen the land, I could have made it. And so the, to the question, why do we give this subject so much time? Right here at the beginning of the year, why would we give the subject of heaven four weeks of our, of our time at the beginning of the year? I would say this, because I think that some of us just need to see the land so that we can make it. I think sometimes we just need to see that God has something far greater than what we are experiencing now for us in eternity so that we can make it. If you go back through history, there's, there's so many that have made, made comments or, or, or helped us kind of understand what, this, what it means to, to think about heaven and to set our minds on things that are beyond where we are. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite pastors, thinkers, uh, was a pastor in the late 1800s, says this. He says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. C.S. Lewis writes this, he said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were, those who, were just those who thought the most about the next. He said, the apostles themselves who set foot on the, on, set foot the conver- conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelists who abolished the slave trade were all of those who left their mark on the world, on the earth, precisely because their minds were preoccupied with heaven. Since Christians have largely ceased, this is Lewis continues, since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they've become so inefficient in this one. He says, aim at heaven and you will get both heaven and earth, but aim at earth and you will get neither. Jonathan Edwards, the uh, 18th century pastor and theologian says this, that he, he would make it a practice of his, of his walk with Christ, a daily discipline to meditate on the glories of heaven. And he did this to give him strength to live the Christian life that he was called to live today. So why do we give such, so, so, so much property, so much time in the first part of the year for us to talk about this idea, this, not the idea, but the reality of heaven is because because we need the strength that comes from putting our minds on things beyond here and now. And remembering that God has something for us that's far greater than what is today. And, and, and scripture tells us, Pastor Jeff, if you were here last week, maybe, maybe you weren't able to make it last week and you can go back and watch the, on a regular basis. We hear from our, from, uh, we, we stream from the central location from our Franklin campus. And so Pastor Jeff kind of got us started on this series last week. And he said, he mentioned that 550 times in scripture, God tells us or God's word tells us about, about heaven or speaks of heaven. And so there's plenty of material for us to do to, to understand what, it, what heaven is like from scripture. 
And so that's what we want to go to. And I believe that he does that to stir in our hearts, to give us a glimpse of what is to come, to remind us that this is not it. And I want to make this commitment, not only do we say that this is the reason why we do this, and I was talking to somebody earlier, I want to make this commitment that to the best of my ability, what I want for us to, to, to be the the foundation of what we talk about and when we talk about heaven over the next several weeks is I want it to be from scripture. And so there's lots of stories that you can read. There's movies that have been made and they're, maybe they're great. I, I want to do my best to let scripture be the guide that tells us what heaven is like and why we set our eyes and our hope on that. Again, you can watch movies, maybe some of them are great, but I hope that scripture is the thing that we set our hope in and not a movie that we watch or some book that we read about somebody's experience uh, on, on a near-death experience. Uh, I believe God's word gives us enough to know that we, to know what we need to know and to have hope for what's next. And so our passage this morning is, is Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 12 specifically, but I'm going to read just a little bit more from verse 8 to verse 12 just to kind of give us a context of what's happening. And so this is Acts chapter 4. Beginning in verse 8, it says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for the act of kindness shown to this man who was lame and being asked to be healed and how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, our central passage for this morning. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray that in the songs that we sing in the word as it's opened, in the time that we gather, that your name would be glorified. Because it is your name, your name alone. There is no other name that has been given by which we can be saved. We must be saved by trusting and putting our faith and our hope in you. And this morning as we come before you and talk about what it's like, what heaven is like, and, and ask this very serious, very important question, of how do I get to go to heaven? God, I pray that your spirit would fill this place, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to be able to hear clearly what your word says. And that by grace, Lord, you would meet us here, that you would bring comfort and confidence from your word for those who have put their faith in you. And God, that you would expose for those who have not yet trusted, trusted you for salvation, that you have given them opportunity to know you and to spend eternity with you through your son, Jesus, and that they would respond this morning to that invitation. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. So the question is, how do I go to heaven? And, and again, we're going to work through five observations. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of these, but just kind of work through a couple of things that I believe are just that, that we can just kind of pull from this question and observations from this question in the passage that I think are important for us to kind of understand as we, as we ask this question and ponder, how do I go to heaven? 
And the first one is this, if you're filling this out on your worship guide or maybe you have it on the app, the first question, the first blanks there is this, that it's a common question. How do I go to heaven? How do I go to heaven is a common question that's been asked by countless people all the time. And I'm going to add this, that throughout time, that it's asked by, by countless people all the time and then throughout time. It's not a new question that people are asking. This is not a new thing that we're, that we're kind of wrestling with in, in our day and this time. This is a question that people have been asking for a long time. And the, why, the question, why, why is it such an important question? Why is it something that we want to know? And, and I would I'd kind of go to, to this as, a, as an illustration or example. Did you know that Google Maps is the most used app in the Google Suites? And all of the things that Google, that Google does, and they do lots, it's ridiculous. But in all of the things that Google has opportunity, that's offered us in the world today, thank you, Google, I guess, is Google Maps. It's the one that most people use. It's, t- it's, it's in the top five, maybe the top three downloaded apps on a year-to-year basis and based on different, different matrix and whatnot. So a lot of people want to know, that just by the fact that they download this, the reason why they want... The reason why we download this app is because we want to know how to get somewhere, right? We used to have to have Rand McNally and you had to like, sign, right? Anybody? No? Anybody had the book in their car and you, or like the, anyway, we'll, we'll stop. But I mean, now, right, I mean, you can look up anywhere. And most of us, when we look up on Google, we look up our house. Like you could go anywhere in the world and you look up your house. Like, you know where that is. You know what it looks like. Why are you looking up your house? I'm, I'm A number one on that one. But you want to know how to get someplace, you want to know if there's traffic in the way, right? And so we want to know how to get some. So the question, the reason why we ask this question is because we want to know how to get to places. It's built into us. We want to know how to do this. And, and as we work through these passages, the passage that we worked through last week as Pastor Jeff preached, he, he talked, about a, uh, talked about Thomas asking Jesus, hey, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? And the basis of that question is, hey, we want to know how to get there. So you continue through scripture, the the rich young ruler, he has all of these things when he comes to Jesus and he says, how do I have eternal life? The question that he's asking is, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to go to heaven? The lady at the, at the well, if you read through scripture and you kind of, you come to Matthew or Mark chapter 10, he's, he's sitting there, excuse me, not, not that John chapter four, the woman at the well says, sir, can you give me this water so that I don't have to thirst again and come here and draw water every day? And what she's asking, the essence of that question is, how do I get to this place where everything that I desire is satisfied? It's a question that we've been asking throughout history. Countless people have been asking this question. Nicodemus is asking the question when at night he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. And he says, he asks him about what it, who he is. And we recognize that you are somebody from, you're something bigger than just a, just, just a teacher. What he's searching for is how do I find eternity? How do I find, how do I ask these questions? How do I find answers to these questions? Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us a little bit of why it's such a common question and why we've asked this throughout time. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, he says, He has also, meaning God, has also set eternity on the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That God himself, as, as Solomon lets us know, has set eternity on our hearts. 
that the reason why we ask this question, the reason why throughout history people have been asking this question is because God has put it in our hearts that there is something beyond right now. St. Augustine wrote in 300, right after Jesus, 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and we are restless until we find rest in you. Blaise Pascal, the mathematician and physicist and inventor and philosopher, says that God, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart. Each man has a God-shaped hole in our heart, and we are not satisfied until, until the creator fills that hole that he created inside of us. Over and over again, we have these questions. And Pastor Jeff quoted from just somebody that's lived in the past hundred years. C.S. Lewis says this, that in those times when I find myself in desire of nothing that this world can satisfy, my only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. It's a, it's, this question is a common question that countless people have asked that countless people ask all the time, and they've asked throughout time, how do I go to heaven? And the reason why we ask it is because God put it on our hearts to ask and the recognition that there's something beyond this place and this time. I'm not going to get to the answer to that. We're, we're going to keep working through some more observations, but, but there's, we're not going to kind of wrap that up. I think it brings us to the second observation is this, is that there's a question that's full of misconceptions. It's a question that's full of misconceptions. And, and we said this last week that the whole, the whole like heaven in general is something that has lots of misconceptions. We're going to uncover some more of those next week as we look at what heaven will be like and those kind of things. But, but this question is one of those questions that has a lot of misconceptions. You go back to the, go back to the passage. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in, under, heaven, or under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It doesn't really leave room for any misconceptions. However, throughout history and in our time today, there's lots of misconceptions about this question about how do we go to heaven. Let me just look, walk through a couple. I'm not going to go through all of them, but a couple of them that I think are prominent in our world. The first one is this one, that all roads lead to heaven. Right, that this idea that all roads lead to heaven, and, and honestly, this is a this this is kind of a universalist approach. That really, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, and 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 the places that you've been, if you just if you're just really if you're sincere about what you do, if you if you worship this God or that God, whatever, it doesn't really matter who you worship. All roads eventually lead to heaven. Because Scripture doesn't give us that kind of option. It doesn't tell us that, but the reality is, it is in 2021, the Pew Institute for Research says, and it floored me reading this this week, that 58%, 58, more than half of people that confess to be believers, Christ followers, believe that many religions can lead to eternal life in heaven. That if that's correct, that more than half of us in this room believe that multiple other religions outside of Christianity that the result of somebody following that religion would leave them and would, would bring them to heaven at the end of their lives. And 38% don't believe that you really have to worship or believe in a God at all. 
to end up in, in, in heaven. That it, it really just all kinds of com, it comes out in the wash. Another misconception is that it's based on the sum of your good deeds versus your bad deeds. The things that you've done, it, it, it's misconception that, that if I just follow the rules. And scripture is abundantly clear that it's not just following the rules. It's not good versus bad, that we can't earn our salvation, that, there's, that our eternity is not hanging in the balance of our good deeds versus our bad deeds. It's not in our ability to follow the rules or our church attendance or how many mission trips that we've been on. That's not, we don't earn our salvation by the things that we have done or have not done. It's not how it works. We're not waiting with crossed fingers at the end of time to see if we did more good than bad. Scripture is abundantly clear that we couldn't do anything good enough. That there's no way that we can earn it. It's not based on how religious you are, kind of just following that same line that Jesus makes it clear over and over again as he confronts those, the most religious in his society. Really, the only time that Jesus has major conflict in his three years of ministry are not with people who are outside the church. It's with the people who are inside the church who are so religious and are banking their whole life on them following the rules. We should take note of that as people who are in the church. It's not about what you've done or haven't done. It's not the rules that you follow. Many, many have this misconception that we can inherit heaven because our parents or our grandparents, that it's like it's a family lineage thing, that they pass it down. Listen, my grandfather was a stellar man. One of, if not the godliest man that I've ever known. But if I'm banking my entry into heaven on his walk with Christ, I'm going to spend an eternity not only separated from him, but from the father that he worshiped. Just because your grandmother was a great woman and followed Jesus doesn't make you a believer and a follower of Christ. Man, I'm so glad that you have a heritage of people who love Jesus, but you have to be a follower of Christ. It's not based on your heritage or inheriting something that your family does. Paul Paul talks about his own heritage. And as you read through, through the letters that he wrote to the churches, and he overwhelmingly says, hey, I've got all the reasons to think that I would inherit heaven based on, the, on my heritage and the, my family lineage and the things that I've done. And he says, all of that I consider dirty rags, a pile of nothing, because it's only Christ. It's only through a relationship with him. Keep going. One more thing that I think is a little sticky but I really want to make sure we say it, and then we, we, need to, we need to move on. There's a misconception, and it's so prevalent in our, in our context, especially for, for us in, in, in the, the place that we live in, in this Bible Belt kind of context, that we, we, make our, we, we bank our eternity on some emotional moment that we've had in the past. And this is what I mean. And I'm, I, this, is, this can be a little sticky, so I'm going to try to be gentle, but I also want to be very clear. If you believe or you're banking your eternity on raising your hand at some VBS or some camp experience because somebody tried to scale, scare the hell out of you, and you said you raised your hand because some pastor, probably with a really great heart, said, do you want to go to heaven? And you said, yes, I do. And you're banking your eternity on the fact that you raised your hand and prayed a prayer after him. But nothing has changed in your life, not even a little bit. Then it's time to rethink where you are with Christ. 
Just because you shed some tears at some camp. Listen, I worked at a camp for many, many years. I've been a camp counselor and I've watched so many kids at the last night of camp because they're emotionally drained and they're tired and the pastor preached a really strong message and the worship was good and everybody started crying and we got close, really close and we all just came down and we said, we hung out at the altar and everybody cried that they're banking their eternity on that moment where their tears were shed. And listen, tears don't equal eternity with Jesus. And I say that because I'm like truly, this is, this is one of those things that I, it haunts me on a regular basis that Jesus in his word says there's going to be a time when there's lots of people that come to him at the end of time and they're going to say, but we did these things, Jesus. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And some of us are banking our relationship with Jesus and our eternity with him based on some things that we've done in the past. And there's going to be a time when we get to heaven and by God's grace he, that he moves in our hearts today, but that we're going to stand before him. And I hope that it's not, I cried at camp or I raised my hand. I hope that it's that you put your faith in him and that you repented of your sins, and you, by God's grace, through faith, that you were saved, because it is not of works that any man could boast. I'm not trying to scare it out of you, but I desperately, desperately want to make sure that we evaluate where we are with Jesus based on the truth of Scripture and not an emotional experience. And you can be mad at me if you want, but listen, I'd rather you be mad at me and spend eternity in heaven because you evaluated that than mad at me or then tell you some flowery truth and make you feel good and you spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell that's a real place because I made you feel good on a Sunday morning. It's a question that has lots of misconceptions. The third observation is the question that requires us face a weighty, a weighty reality. And we've said a little bit of this already, but maybe, maybe some of you have watched this movie and maybe you, I, I think this puts me in a category. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a good or a bad category. Uh, Mighty Python and the Holy Grail. But there's a point, I'm just gonna move on, just gonna move on. There's a point in this, in the, story, in the, in the, in the movie that uh, King Arthur comes and he fights the Black Knight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't, it's okay, it's okay comes and he fights the black knight and he and one by one king Arthur cuts off every limb that this black knight has and he and there's different he's merely a flesh wound i've had worse right and this is the kind of moments that he has and he at the at the end he's on the ground he's got no arms no legs and he's still trying to fight he's like i can still take you i'll bite your heels like he's just he's not giving up and the reality is that, that for us, one of the things that it takes, one of the things that, that would, to answer this question of how do I go to heaven, it takes us facing a reality that we don't have any fight left in us. That we are desperate and in need of something that's far beyond our ability to, to, to fix, far beyond our ability to do anything about, that we are not only just on the ground with no arms, no legs, and don't have a chance to fight, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And it requires us come to this reality. It says, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's very clear. You must be saved. And the fact that you are in a place, you and I are in a place where we must be saved means that we don't have the ability to save ourselves. That because of sin, we've been separated from a holy God. 
that this is the reality. And again, this is to borrow, uh, to borrow some words from, from Randy Alcorn. We have a default destination, a terminal illness that all of us are going to die and a default destination. And it is not heaven. That because of sin, our relationship with God has been broken. And, and, and because of that, our default destination at the end of our lives is eternity separated from God unless we recognize our need for him, unless we recognize that salvation comes from outside of us and there's a problem that we have to fix and that we're in desperate need of a savior. Fourth observation is this, that it's a question that cannot be delayed. Listen, for there is no other name, again, just going back to the passage, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. That, there, that you must be saved. And, and it's, it's a question, that, as we talk about it, it's a question that cannot be delayed. Psalm chapter 39 says this, verses 4 and 5. It says, show me, David says, show me, Lord, my life, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years are as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath even those who seem secure. Growing up in South Louisiana, there were not very many occasions where you would walk outside and you could see your breath, right? When it, when it was cold, you're like, was it that bad? Where it was cold enough to where you could see your breath. That, that's, that's an important part of that phrase, that it was cold enough to where you could see your breath. Because there's probably some people in South Louisiana, you can see their breath and it's that bad. That's also in, in Tennessee too, so y'all just chill out. But it's not often cold enough. And so it was like a really cool thing, right? I mean, when you'd walk out and be like, oh my gosh, it's so cold. And that's, that's, I mean, like today, like outside right now, I'm like, I don't even know why we're outside right now. It's, it's way too cold to be out of the house. I put a, I put a jacket on to go to the refrigerator. Like I, I'm not built for the cold. But I mean, this, this reality that, that it, it's such an in, interesting thing to be able to go outside and see. Some of you watched the football game last night in Kansas City. Those guys were freezing, but just you could see those puffs of breath. But those puffs of breath disappeared as soon as they came out of their mouths. And that's what David's saying. He's like, our lives are but a vapor. They come and they go immediately. And to see our lives as just that breath and it's gone, is a reality that we've got to understand. That we don't get to delay this decision. We don't get to delay this question. We have to make sure we, we ask this question of ourselves. We have to, I, what does it mean for us to go to heaven? How do we go to the heaven? Because if we don't, we don't have a lot of time. It maybe feels like it's a lot of time, but I promise our lives are but a breath. And I'm, I'm one of those people who likes to be in control, but we're not in control of the days that we have. Realize that we're not in control of when we were born and we're not in control of when we die. And I don't have to tell you, I don't have to remind you that, that death is 100%. All of us are going to die unless Jesus comes back before then. And, and, and that's only going to be for, for those who are on the earth. That, that Every one of us are going to experience death. If the numbers are right, and, and this is just kind of taking from some of the, some of the, the, stat, the statistics worldwide right now. I want you to slow down and think about this. 
the numbers are right that there are about three people who die every second. That, 11, that, that makes 11,000 people, 11,000 people die every hour. That if, if the numbers are right, that 250,000 people worldwide will die today and face eternity, either with God in heaven or away from him in, for eternity in a place called hell. And of those 250,000, I'm sure there's only a few who thought it would come today. We're not in control of that. This is not one of those things that we get to say later on, I'll, I'll deal with that problem. Can't tell you how many hot conversations I had in college and in high school and with high schoolers and college students and even young adults were like, hey, I'll deal with that later. You don't get to decide when it's over. Scripture is very clear. Today is the day of salvation. Choose today who you will serve. Joshua says, today is the day of salvation. You're not promised another breath. You're not promised another day. And that's not to scare you. It's just to give us a reality check. That if we think we can delay this to another day, we're not in control of that. Which leads us to the last one. It's a question Last of, the, of these observations, a question that has an answer, calls for a response, and promises more than we can ever imagine. He says, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus is given to us that we can be saved. The answer to the question is Jesus the answer to the question is, how do I go to heaven? It's Jesus. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with the Son of God that he sent because he loves you so much that he sent his only Son that through a relationship with him, we might be saved. It's a promise that he gives us in Scripture. He says in verse 17 of that same passage, John 3, 16, and then verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, that whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they did not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. It's a... The answer to this question of how do I have a relationship with Jesus or how, how do I go to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus. Listen, you don't separate heaven and Jesus. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. And the only way that heaven is heaven is because of Jesus. Because eternity with Jesus is what we get to have. That's what we're longing for is the restoration of the relationship that we were built for. And that relationship is with him with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And in your chairs, most of your chairs as you came in this morning, there's this, this, this pamphlet that's called God's Good News. And if you work through it, what, what, the, what it says for us, and, and this is hopefully a tool not only for you as you're working through the question for yourself, but maybe somebody that you know in your own life that, that maybe needs to work through this question as well. But it goes through all of this. The truth is that we were created for a relationship with God, but sin broke that relationship. When Adam and Eve broke the relationship with God because of eating the fruit, it wasn't just eating the fruit, it was a rebellion against God and his ways. 
And that was passed on to all of us. Sin is that rebellion, that disobedience. And, and, and all of us have sinned and sin separates us from God. So what do we do? We, we try to fill that gap with lots of things. This is the misconceptions that we said a second ago. We try to fill that gap with lots of things, but there's only one thing that fills that gap. And it's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was the was the offering, was the sacrifice that was sufficient to save us. And his death accomplished for us what we could not accomplish on our own. And the significance of his resurrection means that he defeated sin and death and gives us an opportunity to have life with him. You just keep working through it. So what do we do? We have to cross that bridge that God provided. And this is where I said, not only is there an answer in Jesus, but it calls for a response. It's not just that we know that Jesus is the answer. We respond to that. We respond by coming to him by trusting in him for salvation, by saying, Jesus, you're the only way, the only truth in life. I know that you are the only way. And so we have genuine faith in Christ, meaning that we acknowledge that he is the son of God, that we are sinners and that his death and resurrection paid for our sin and gives us power and his power over sin and death. With our hearts, we renounce that sin and embrace him, meaning we repent of our sin, repent of turning, looking for life in other places. And with our will, we recognize that he is God and we surrender to him. And then we ask the, the last of that is, where are you? And as the band comes back up, I, that's the question that I want to leave with us this morning. If it's a question that's been asked, a common question that's been asked by countless people, that's asked by countless people all the time throughout time, then it's a question that I'm sure that there are those in this room that are asking right now. And it's a question that, that requires a response from us. It's a question that we have to respond to because, listen, there's so many people. Maybe, maybe it's happened to you before where, where you got a, a, an invitation to some kind of event and, and you just put it aside, meaning, hey, I'll get to this later because it required you to respond in RSV, or RSVP for Is that what it is? To respond and say that you're coming. And you put it on like, to the side. Is that what it says? I'm sorry. that you needed to respond to it and you put it to the side and you forgot. The reality is that this is not one of those moments that you walk up to the door after you forget to respond and they just let you in. It requires that you respond. And today is the day of salvation. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.